Alright, hello. This is my third recording of chap- not third, I mean my third chapter recording in a single day because I'm having a lot of fun reading it. So, I'm sorry for the background noise, it's kind of hard to tell my mom to stop cooking just because I'm recording a very mediocre podcast, but we're working with what we got. So, here goes chapter three. Next, you clamp your eyes tighter even though they're already closed, but it doesn't manage to block out the raspy, disdainful voice swirling like a sickening pea green funnel cloud in your mind. You can't exactly do much physical activity in an outfit like that. Your fingers dig into the soft skin of your pillowcase before you gather the whole cushion and sandwich your head between its feathery makeshift shield and your springy mattress. A more distinctive thunderclap this time, its finality pronounced within the slow, heartless decline of a single syllable. Next. Following the shock of your exile that frayed each vulnerable fragment of rope hanging from your bones, the memory of Harry's pink wildfire licked the ends until your entire nervous system was consumed in flames. At first, you were in denial that your opportunity for this position ended before it began. It didn't feel possible that you'd flipped your entire life on its side for absolutely nothing but a shattered heart. But it started to take shape as soon as you swung the emergency exit door of the theater open and collapsed into the grass outside. For the fog of denial began to evaporate, anger set in, and the thick velvet curtain of red has refused to lift since. It now sits heavily on your polished stage, its taciturn golden tassels much too high for you to reach to begin to clear the scene for new thoughts or a plan of action. How dare he be so righteously bloated and contemptuous, sending off women who had frozen their entire lives for that audition left and right without so much as a two-minute conversation. You are beginning to feel sorry for the person who eventually has chosen to work beside him, forced to breathe in his night air and trust their fragile life in his hands. Or maybe that was just your defensive method of self-preservation talking. If Nettie had been there, she would have had some choice words to toss in his direction. She would have hugged you and told you that it was okay to cry. She would have helped you strap your skates to your loafers for a clean getaway, but instead you were left completely alone. Deposited into the freshly watered lawn with moisture wicking your skirt and underwear, the shade from the palm tree above your only comfort as you dug your fingers into the grass and pulled out two large chunks in frustration. The soil seeped under your fingernails and stunk of fresh sod, but it felt satisfying to hear the muffled tear of blades and see the bold spots in the otherwise perfectly manicured landscaping. I've never been one to cry during moments of difficulty. You were much too determined and persistent to allow your emotions to knock you off balance. However, the situation was thwarting enough to make you wonder if the universe was attempting to present you with a sign to reconsider your career as a dancer altogether, and that notion was enough to draw a cluster of discouraged, unwanted tears down your cheeks. War flashbacks of your last and possibly final performance slowly flooded your mind until you found it troublesome to breathe. Your back meeting the soaking wet grass next as you slowly blinked at the bits of visible clear blue sky through the fan-like branches of the towering palm. For a place that looked like paradise, it sure felt a lot more like a purgatory in that fateful moment. You stayed for a while until your hands pacified enough to reattach your skates for the second time that day, needing two breaks to ease your frustration and repress your discouraged screams. You cruised home at your leisure and wonder exactly how you were going to break the news to your roommate and then worse yet, your parents. They had been against the idea of you moving so far from home on your own. 
To follow through with such a risky and audacious statement as to completely abolish everything you've ever known on a radical whim and turgid hope. If anyone had happened to look at or address you the wrong way on that ride to back to your duplex, it would have been severely damaging for the both of you with your emotions teetering at the edge of a skyscraper and your heart sitting as a heap of dust ready to waft away with a single outside breath. It's a shame that you hadn't recognized them earlier on the beach and even worse that you challenged his ego. It's hard enough for someone like you to attain a position of power in today's working environment. The last thing a woman should be doing when attempting to move up in their career is piss off their potential employer after failing miserably at flirting with them. Everything was wrong. A ticking time bomb of defeat after defeat. A checkmate that has flung you straight off the checkerboard. An opportunity that slipped through your fingers like the beads from a snap bracelet before you'd even had a chance to contend. It was helpless and infuriating and a situation that you were powerless to change. It felt only natural to want to curl up into the tightest ball you could ever imagine and never wake up. You took the long way home, carefully unwrapping and sucking every lollipop from the front pocket of your bag until each one slowly dissolved in your mouth like a cruel similitude of your struggle. You were ready to start fresh, shiny and perfectly molded in your carefully prepared wrapper, then as soon as it was peeled back, you were reduced to nothing but a soggy, frail stick bending backwards as you tried to make sense of how you'd gotten here. If only you truly know just how deeply his stunning features were going to carve you open. You had half a mind to flee to the airport with nothing but the clothing on your back without even bothering to, reti- to retreat to your duplex. Actually considering if there was anything worth returning to salvage before booking a one-way flight back to your parents' house. You passed a milkshake shop amongst a strip of boutiques and restaurants on the boardwalk, your empty, nauseous stomach turning at the flavor of root beer floats and abandoned victory. When you got home, you were grateful to find that you had the place to yourself, ripping off your skates and towing your feet from your loafers as you jogged down the hallway and locking yourself in the bathroom. You huddled over the carnation-hued sink and flicked the brass handle molded into the shape of a swan's head, collecting tepid water in your palms that spewed from the mouth of the matching swan faucet to wash your face of tears and splotchy redness. The water collected and funneled down the drain as it poured in an endless stream from the lifeless bird's beak, the sight reminiscent of the wretched sickness that swam in your guts and begged for release. You climbed into your bed and curled up on your side, hugging your comforter to your chest and falling into a deep, furious sleep. Nettie arrived home several hours later with her boyfriend in tow, your eyes peeling open to reveal pitch darkness in your bathroom. (laughs) Can you hear my dog drinking? Um, Your eyes peeling open to reveal a pitch darkness in your bedroom, followed by the muffled sounds of voices in the hallway. Your roommate called to you, But when she didn't hear an answer, she knocked on your door twice before taking it upon herself to swing it open. The moonlight poured into your window and illuminated your deathly, inert frame below the covers, her heart squeezing painfully in her chest as she tiptoed towards you and wordlessly joined you in the bed. She hugged you as speechless tears streaked your cheeks and stained your pillow, and she knew it. It was unnecessary to explain a thing. There was no use in justifying the silence that filled the space of a forecaster celebration. Instead, she tucked your hair behind your ear and slept curled up against your back, allowing your nightmares to to process and decide what you were supposed to do with the remaining shreds of your course of action. You groan and toss the pillow from your head as the images and voices insist on repeating and driving you mad. 
the volume shrinking and rising over and over again like the demented siren of a speeding ambulance. You flip onto your back to stare at the ceiling and beg the universe for an answer, a forewarning or an omen, a pointer finger in some sort of drift to urge you onward. You hate feeling stagnant and you hate feeling defeated. You had thought that you'd pay your dues months ago after your life was brought to an abrupt halt, but it was becoming increasingly apparent that you were still on an unknown, indebted journey. A road filled with destructive speed bumps and slippery mud patches, and you would give almost anything for a traffic signal illuminated in fluorescent light light bulbs to direct you towards your designated exit. You've yet to leave your bed since returning from your disastrous interview. You felt the dips and heard the squeaks of the springs in your mattress when Nettie rose from your bed along with the hallmark of the rising sun. You pretended to be asleep when she slinked back in soon after that and deposited two objects onto your nightstand with a soft clatter before slipping back out again. You loathe the unattainable weakness displayed in the past 24 hours. It's unlike you and madding, maddening in its existence, but you try to convince yourself that a bit of healthy mourning is permissible as long as it doesn't become your new reality. Of course you're going to ache over the loss of your life as you'd known it, but the more you consider it, the more you understand that even though you had previously regarded that role as yours and yours alone, the heavens had a different plan for you in mind. That's the argument of the philosophical concept of determinism versus free will in the works. Do we ever have true discretion or an actual choice in our outcomes? Or are we simply existing and making choices within the realm of what's already fated for us? Or better yet, is that just something we tell ourselves when situations don't unroll in our favor? Fuck Harry and his stupid, beautiful face. The jarring laceration of the ringing telephone from the kitchen slices first through your heart and then the gray matter of your brain, pricking pins and needles against your skin just before it tumbles through another astringent chime. You reach for your pillow to cover your face and block the sound, but it's too far away, instead choosing to curl onto your side to finally focus on what Nettie's left for you on your nightstand. A ceramic pyrex plate, milky and lime in color, harboring two pieces of cherry toast with butter and a, gra- and a glass of water sit in silence, dried up and collecting dust with burnt crumbs scattering the plate. The water is half empty, or so your temporarily pessimistic mind perceives it that way. And the reminder of how you've consumed little other than a dozen cherry lollipops in the course of a day makes your lips feel parched and your throat uncomfortably arid but it's still not enough to force you to sit up and take a a sip of sustenance. Three soft knocks on your bedroom door go unanswered. They persist, louder this time, forcing you to clear the cobwebs from your lungs when you grumble soft permission to enter from a voice that rattles so uncharacteristically that you have a hard time recognizing it. Nettie steps inside with the coiled phone cord scratched Stretch the capacity as she seals her palm over the mouthpiece on the receiver and whispers, It's for you. You assume it's your parents wondering how the audition went and your eyes widening in horror as you mouth, Tell them I'm not here. She shakes her head and responds, her elbows locked and arms stretched towards you as she wiggles the receiver and whispers louder this time, Take it. You smash your lips together in determination and shake your head furiously again and she continues to fight you in a whisper shout, Yes, yes, yes. She holds the phone to her ear. Yep, she's right here. You sit up and toss a small throw pillow at her, which she deflects with a swift kick. Here she comes. Just a minute. Hang on. You gasp at her audacity and fly out of bed. 
stumbling towards her and attempting to wrestle the earpiece from her hands in order to unplug the cord and disconnect the call. Nettie shrieks quietly in rebuttal to your physical attack, simultaneously trying to put you in a headlock and keep the phone out of your reach. You both get a couple good smacks, kicks, and pinches in, and she somehow manages to maintain a suction palm over the mouthpiece. I can't let you lay in bed for another minute. You're bumming me out. It's not like you. Just take the phone, damn it. You groan in defeat before throwing her off and standing tall, breathing a huff of air to clear your hair from your eyes and collecting the phone from her hands. You mouth, thank you, and there's a palpable hint of sincerity in your sarcastic grimace that Nettie is acutely aware of. She blows you a kiss and shuts the door behind her. The telephone cord kinked in the closed threshold. You huff and lean up against the wood for balance. The receiver is slick with sweat when you bring it to your ear. Hello? Russell Butchin in here. Your eyes widen and your posture quickly corrects. Yes, hi. I wanted to first start by apologizing for my colleague and the outcome of your interview yesterday. Harry is fantastic, you see. Just as Mitch picky, he wants this job done right, as do I. The tiny bit of a lauded phone cord curls around your index finger as you clear your throat and nod before remembering he can't see your gesture. Makes sense. It isn't excuses behavior and it doesn't make you any less upset. But the possibility of the direction of this conversation is much too intriguing to dwell on it now. You imagine Rusty twirling the end of his mustache between his index finger and the thumb and his thumb as he speaks. We hope you're not deterred. You were the only person to leave your resume after the, uh, sour treatment. We'd like to give you a small handful of girls another opportunity. How does today at 3 o'clock work for you? Same place as yesterday. I don't know if Harry... We sat down and reviewed your resume together and we both agree. There's a click of silence between your invisible conversation that authenticates your hesitance. You had been ready to let this role go. It had felt completely helpless and the number of things you told yourself to back you from the edge of the cliffs of the cliff seemed unending. At the same time, you were begging the universe for a fluorescent, illuminating sign and this just may be it. However, this very real possibility of being rejected not only once, but twice, is just agonizing enough to keep your answer locked away inside of your throat for safety's sake. Rusty picks up on your reluctance and decides to sweeten the deal. I, we, we are very drawn to your choreography studies at the Annex. As you may well know we plan to fashion dazzling feats that have yet to be attempted at the circus a strong history like yours would be supremely useful we could put our heads together to come up with some groundbreaking ideas we are extremely interested in you and he clears his throat and attempts one final plea harry will not be in attendance today you have several reasons to be excited but you decide that the main incentive for trying again has now become to prove to harry that you're perfect for the role and that he was wrong to dismiss you that way profoundly wrong this time you've come prepared dressed in your favorite mock neck bodysuit with tights pulled over top a pair of warm-ups to keep your necks nimble and primed your hair pulled off of your face and neck with two curled necks that wrap around your head the waiting room is mostly empty this time much like your water glass from this morning there are nine girls in attendance aside from you all but one pair of legs hopping and trembling to quell their nerves. You, on the other hand, feel like you have nothing to lose. You've already endured the sting of elimination and loss, so you can only gain from here. Whether it be perspective or a career, there is only accumulation. When your name is called, it's almost as if your skates were attached to your ballet shoes in an invisible force that glides you forward on air. 
The beating of your heart and the rushing of your blood is palpable through each one of your pulse points. Your ears fill to the brim with foggy, intoxicating self-motivation. The hallway and the rehearsal space are humid, your sights narrowing in on a sturdy, knotted rope that hangs from the ceiling to brush the floor, and behind that, the blurry and and familiar figure of a man with a white cumulus cloud for hair. Your greeting is short and clipped before you flex your foot and then point your toe, the tendons in your ankle creaking as the tip of your shoe makes contact with the floor. Your arms rise above your head, wrists kissing and shoulders relax. Your neck long and graceful as you breathe in deeply and take three running leaps towards the rope. Rusty is stunned by your initiation of lack of outside prodding or supervision, his body swaying backwards in an observable stumble as he cranes his neck to watch you grip the line and ignore the burn against your palms when you climb as as high as you can. Each line and sinew in your body is stretched to flawless precision when you balance with one foot clenched to a knot. Your back arched and your free leg extended long behind you in an arabesque I'm not sure that can only be achieved by years of intensive ballet training from the corner of your eye you take notice of the same emergency exit door that you were cast out of yesterday slowly grown open followed by a figure dressed as though he were nothing but a murky shadow stepping into the room chased by a trail of flamingo pink sugary smoke Harry's probable intention of showing up unannounced was to either figuratively or literally throw you from the air. But the vision of beauty cloaked in contempt only spurs you forward. He's a savage wolf draped in a facade of the finest silks, and you've already decided that you're not afraid of him anymore. You're not a sheep, and you never have been. There's a mutual grimace from both parties when your eyes fall on one another before his back meets the wall behind him his foot kicking up for perches on the surface as he raises his cigarette to his lips and disappears behind his blush curtain. You crane your neck and angle your chin towards the ceiling, subduing the image of Harry grieving in the corner of the room to an inconsequential speck as you gather momentum and induce the cord in a dizzying dizzying spiral. The aversion that you feel for him is your stimulus for excellence. The desire you have for this role is your execution. Your body is reduced to liquid as you both thaw and seize every every profusely rehearsed precision a routine that you've run into the ground so many times that you could perform it in your sleep in all of his years in the circus harry has never seen anything like you before an unprecedented classically trained ballerina delicately holding onto a thread several feet in the sky like a crystalline star on a string or a prismatic christmas ornament wrapped in tinsel perfect form and unmatched dedication fuel every flex and point of your muscles You move like a nimble dancer who is not strictly a gymnast or an aerialist, but a showgirl swimming in the sky, smooth as silk and as fluid as the ocean at twilight. A sight to behold, a white peacock, a winter aura, a rare opal. A tornado cast from the darkest cloud in the eerily painted sky. A whirlpool funneling every nearby living thing into its funnel. A warm piece of tie-dyed saltwater taffy, spinning, spinning, spinning. It pains him to admit that you're undeniably the balance to his lopsided scale because he knows that Rusty is making a terrible mistake. Decisions are best left to be made by Harry, the one who will be working by your side day in in and day out, with his hands on your body and his talent shrouded by your presence. He's so irked at your skill that he begins to refuse to see it, nitpicking non-existent sickled feet in his mind as your routine dwells to a natural halt and you lower yourself to the ground below.
Your dismount is met by a single echoing, enthusiastic applause from Rusty when your feet make contact with the mat and your dizzy brain sobers. You pause for a breath without even bothering to persuade your fearless smile back into hibernation. Your budding confidence about having likely received a role, quickly blotted by a slam of the emergency exit door and the sight of a deserted, vacant spot where Harry was once standing. Okay, hi. That took me so long to record just because I kept messing up again. But, I really like this chapter. I feel like it really shows that even though you, like, you can feel defeated and you can feel like giving up, there will always be another chance. Even if it's not what you want, there will always be something better. And look at her being confident. I literally love her so much. Um, I look up to her. She is my queen, my everything. I She inspires me to dance, actually, which is something that I wanted to do since I started reading this book. Um, catch me at your local traveling circus. But yeah, I hope you enjoy. Bye.